0: Good morning, New City. My name is Kendall Meisel, and I will be reading the scripture this morning. God promised this good news long ago through his prophets and the holy scriptures. The good news is about his son. In his earthly life, he was born into King David's family line, and he was shown to be the son of God when he was raised from the dead by the power of the Holy Spirit. He is Jesus Christ, our Lord. Through Christ, God has given us the privilege and authority as apostles to tell Gentiles everywhere what God has done for them so that they will believe and obey him, bringing glory to his name. And you are included among these Gentiles who have been called to belong to Jesus Christ. I am writing to all of you in Rome who are loved by God and are called to be his own holy people. May God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ give you grace and peace. Let me say first that I thank my God through Jesus Christ for all of you, because your faith in him is being talked about all over the world. God knows how often I pray for you. Day and night, I bring you and your needs in prayer to God, whom I serve with all my heart by spreading the good news about His Son. One of the things I always pray for is the opportunity, God willing, to come at last to see you. For I long to visit you so I can bring you some spiritual gift that will help you grow strong in the Lord. When we get together, I want to encourage you in your faith, but I also want to be encouraged by yours. I want you to know, dear brothers and sisters, that I planned many times to come visit you, but I was prevented until now. I want to work among you and see spiritual fruit, just as I have seen among other Gentiles. For I have a great sense of obligation to people in both the civilized world and the rest of the world, to the educated and uneducated alike. So I am eager to come to you in Rome, too, to preach the good news. For I am not ashamed of this good news about Christ. It is the power of God at work, saving everyone who believes, the Jew first, and also the Gentile. This good news tells us how God makes us right in his sight. This is accomplished from start to finish by faith. As the scriptures say, it is through faith that a righteous person has life. This is the word of God to you today. You can be seated.
1: Thanks, Kendall. Great job. Good morning, church. That was weak. Good morning. Hey, I know it's raining and I I told somebody this morning, I was like, it's cold outside. They were like, uh... I don't. I think your definition of cold is off. Um, needs to be recalibrated, which is probably true. Um, I really admit it's not 97 degrees, which is great. Um, well, hey, I'm excited for us to continue our journey uh, in the book of Romans today. Um, just want to encourage you. If you if you don't have a paper copy of the scriptures, I want to encourage you to get one. Um, we've got. Uh, a deal where you can buy a study Bible in the New Living Translation, which is the translation we preach from, uh, for, I think, 25 bucks. So you can, like, take a snapshot of that and order a study Bible. I ordered my study Bible, same one that you're going to buy, is the same one I'm going to use um, for this year during the study as well. And part of what we're going to be doing is teaching how to use the study Bible uh, as we move through the scriptures together, because the deal is, like, what we're doing on Sunday morning is just kind of a primer. You know, we can't hit everything in 20 or, or 30 minutes. Uh, all I can do is kind of tee up some of the big ideas, but to really understand um, what's going on in, um, in Romans and in really any scripture, you got to get in there for yourself. And so part of my objective is to help you do that uh, each Sunday. And the best way to do that is if you have a Bible. Um, I know we can get it on our phones and, and stuff, but I don't know about you guys, but I, uh, I get super distracted on, on my phone and uh, I also love writing and I would just encourage you to like write in your Bible. That's why I like to get the 25 buck one that you can write in it and take notes and, and that kind of thing. Um, so if you have one, you can be in that with us today in Romans uh, chapter one. And if you don't have one, I wanna encourage you to to get one. Well, as I was thinking about the, the message today in Romans one, I was transported back in time to a different time in my life And I was remembering um, that when I was 19 years old, I was a cadet at West Point and I was in my sophomore year and they have weird names for years at at West Point um, because they have all these strange traditions. And so sophomore year is called your yearling year, your yearling year, Um, you're like named after a horse or something. I don't know. It's it's strange. And so every year you also have a formal military ball. And so the one, your yearling year is called Yearling Winter Weekend. And it it took place, I think, in, in February. And so that Christmas, just before Yearling Winter Weekend, I came back home to Charlotte. And just a little context here, I'm 19. I've never had a girlfriend before. True story. Um, and I have no prospects for a date to, to go to this thing. And at that, at that time, there was only, uh, only 10% of the cadets at West Point were, were women, and, the, and 90% were, were men. So you really had to go outside of the academy to go find a, a date for the most part. And uh, so I came home, and in God's goodness, I met Janet. Um, and we actually started dating uh, around Christmas, just before Yearling Winter Weekend. And so Janet was my, my first, and as the Lord would have it, my last girlfriend. Um, but at that point, uh, I asked her, at, at, before I went back to the academy, uh, like, hey, would you, would you come up and fly up and, and, and go to this Yearling Winter Weekend military ball with me? And that was pretty huge, because we'd only been on like two dates. And then I'm like, hey, why don't you fly up to the academy and come to this thing with me? and much to my surprise and great joy, she said yes, and my response was I told everybody I knew that I had a girl that had said yes to come up to this ball, and um, the deal was at the academy in the evenings, you had like study hours where you're supposed to do your homework, and so for that whole month between Christmas and this yearling winter weekend, I didn't do any homework. Um, Somehow I, I survived academically, but like, I was going around, and all I could think about was Janet coming up and seeing me. And I told everyone I knew. And, like, when I think about this, I think about this words, the words we're talking about in Romans, good news. Because the thing was, for me, this, this good news that Janet was coming to be my date wasn't just news in the way that we talk about news. Like, on that app on your phone that says news on an iPhone You know, that's the same word, but not the same meaning, because when I click on that app, it's just things and information about people who are really far away, who are really disconnected from me, that really doesn't impact my story. But instead, this was the kind of news, this was good news that had captured my heart, And and it captured my heart because it was so good, and it was so disruptive and it was so captivating that it overwhelmed all of my young sensibilities and it reoriented my vision for my life. In fact, uh, in the in the weeks leading up to that uh, occasion of Janet coming up, I also had no money. Did I mention that? I think I got paid like $90 a month from the army at that point. And I remember I had a, a very sophisticated finance system. I had a a wooden, old wooden cigar box, and I put all my money in there and saved it up for her to, for her to come up. But it literally reoriented my whole life um, when that happened. And so when we think about um, being in Romans and we think about Paul writing to Jesus' followers in Rome, he's writing a, a letter to these people all about good news, and, and it's the same kind of news that I'm talking about, not the kind on your phone, but the kind that's good and disruptive and captivating and overwhelming and reorienting for life. And so that's the kind of news that we're talking about. What is that good news? Last week, we learned that the good news is simply the statement, Jesus is king. Jesus is king. And we summarized that world-changing truth in this way, that God delivered a person to deliver a message, to deliver a people. Let me put it this way. God wants to deliver people through good news, to deliver the message of the good news to people who need to hear the good news. And so in the same way that the news of Janet saying yes to being my girl, made me delirious with joy. Paul has been absolutely transformed at the core of his being by the good news that he he received in this radical encounter with the risen Lord Jesus. In in a flash of disruption, remember we talked about that story of how on the road to Damascus, uh, Saul, uh, who had become Paul, who was a persecutor of Jesus, suddenly and prolifically realized that everything he thought about himself and about the world around him and about God was utterly and completely wrong. And in that moment, that good news transformed his life and he realized that Jesus was king. And then he also understood two important things about himself. You remember what they were? Number one, that he's a slave of Jesus. So this guy that was an enemy of Jesus becomes a slave of Jesus. Remember last week we talked about, that's a hard word, but it's a powerful word. And it just meant that he was completely devoted to the king. And then the second word is that Paul understood that he was an apostle of Jesus, that his life was to be devoted to carrying out this good news message that Jesus is king to all of the world. So we just want us to sit in this idea today that what we're talking about is good news that Jesus is king. And that was the message of Paul to the Romans. And that's the message for us to take to the world. And so it's very relevant for us. And I want us to not forget that as we're moving through this text together that we're not talking about abstract theology, we're talking about our life purpose. We're talking about good news that should transform us and captivate us in such a way that it realigns all of our priorities and that it compels us to go and do something about it. And we're going to end the message today with a word on what should we do next. You see, the good news captures our hearts, compels us to orient all of our life to King Jesus. And I wanna walk through the text today and, and really make a case for why good news ought to capture our heart. And as we're reading this together, I, I think it's a moment of self-examination that if, if we're reading this and, and you're really honest with yourself and you might not say it out loud, but you, you, know, you might say, I don't, I don't know that I've been captivated by Jesus yet. Then I would sit with that and be honest with yourself and lean into that because I think if you've seen Jesus, you're going to be captivated by him. And I'm praying that each one of us would see him and be captivated by the news that he is king, and that that would compel us to live a different sort of life together. Let's go into the text. Again, if you have the scriptures, you can open with me. We're in Romans chapter 1. We're going to begin in verse 2 today. And verse 2 says this, that God promised this good news long ago through his prophets in the holy scriptures. What is this saying? It's saying that good news ought to capture our heart because it's the one true story of the world. You see, God has been writing a cohesive, coherent story from the beginning of time and that the hero, the central character of the story is not us, it's not Israel, it's not anybody except for King Jesus. He's the center of the story. And that God's been promising To make Jesus king long ago, and it's, the scriptures say, through his prophets. Who were the prophets? Prophets were the men and the women that God sent to remind people of the true story of the world. To remind the people when they would forget that he is the king. And I just, we could spend like several hours going through text this morning, and and I could show you all the places that point to Jesus as king, all the way back to, to, to Genesis, the first book in the Bible. But we don't have time to do that, so I'm just gonna point out a couple of them that are most compelling to me. The first one is in Genesis three, right at the beginning of the story. I talk a lot about Genesis one, two, and three because it's the beginning of the story, and we learn so many foundational things about who we are, what's true about the world, and who God is in these three short chapters. And in Genesis 3, it's, it's, if you remember, it's after God's created the world. He said that it's very good. And, and he created man and he created woman. And he said they were very good. And there's a beautiful image of God walking in the cool of the day with Adam and Eve, the first man and the first woman. And they were living in paradise where they did not have a need. They didn't even understand what a need was because everything was provided for them. And and God was in perfect relationship with them, but but we learn tragic news in Genesis three is that people reject God. It wasn't God who rejected the people; it was the people who reject God and His sovereign authority, His lordship, His kingship, and they reject Him. But really important in the very beginning of the story is to ask the question: How did God respond at that very first moment when we rejected Him? And what we see is, is, is really beautiful because what God does is he doesn't move away from them. It says he physically moved toward them. If you remember, he found them and he asked a question, where are you? And he sought them out and, and he covered them with the first animal. But then he makes a promise to crush evil and to restore relationship between the people and himself. And, and I love the way that the message version Uh, which is Eugene Peterson's sort of uh, translation of the scripture. And and it's a little bit artistic, but I love it. Um, And he's speaking to the serpent. You remember the serpent is Satan. It's the tempter. It's the deceiver that deceives the man and the woman into rejecting God. And so God moves towards the people, but he speaks to evil. And he says, because you've done this, you're cursed. Cursed beyond all cattle and wild animals. Cursed to slink on your belly and eat dirt all your life. And here's the line. I love the way Peterson translates this. He says, I'm declaring war between you and the woman, between your offspring and hers. He'll wound your head and you'll wound his heel. What is he saying? God is saying, and I love that phrase that he's declaring war, that it's war between evil and people. And it says that, it, he gives a foreshadowing to where way the story is gonna turn out. He says, Uh, he, the offspring of the man and the woman will wound your head and you'll wound his heel. And if you unpack that, most commentators say that, you know, that's a foreshadowing of the work of Jesus on the cross. That on the cross, what Jesus does is he crushes evil. He steps on the head of evil once and for all. And God says that he will be the one that that, that will do it. God will initiate this rescue mission. So we learn that the good news should capture our heart because of the one true story of the world that has been true since the beginning of the story. There's a second passage I want to highlight for you. It's in Isaiah. Isaiah is one of the prophets. Uh, he's, He's one of the men that God sent to Israel Um, to speak truth, when they had forgotten truth, when they had started rejecting God again, which is the story over and over and over again. Adam and Eve reject God, and then people don't stop rejecting God, and we don't stop rejecting God, and our whole culture rejects God. And so God sends the prophets, and he sends Isaiah, and he sends Isaiah to, to remind people that there's a true story, that everything's pointing to this idea that There's gonna be a king who's gonna come and is gonna rule and reign and be perfect and righteous in every way. Isaiah 61, one through two says this, the spirit of the sovereign Lord is upon me for the Lord has anointed me to bring good news to the poor. He has sent me to comfort the brokenhearted and to proclaim that captives will be released and prisoners will be freed. He has sent me to tell those who mourn that the time of the Lord's favor has come. And with it, the day of God's anger against their enemies. And and Isaiah spoke these words and wrote these words 700 years before the birth of Christ. And what's beautiful about this passage is that Jesus, when he starts his earthly ministry, he returns to his hometown of Nazareth. He goes to the synagogue, the place of worship, and he stands up and he reads this very scripture He stands and reads it before his people. The spirit of the sovereign Lord is upon me for the Lord has anointed me to bring what? Good news. You see there? Good news. 700 years before God's spoken to his people, I'm gonna bring good news. 700 years later, Jesus stands in front of the people in his own hometown and says, the Lord has anointed me to bring good news to the poor, to comfort brokenhearted people, to proclaim freedom for captives to say to people in mourning that the Lord's favor has come. And what I love in that moment, right in in the book of Luke that tells us the story of Jesus reading this, right after he reads it, the scriptures say that he rolled up the scroll, that he handed it back to the attendant, and he sat down, and then everyone was looking at him because they were perplexed and confused. And then he began to speak to them, and he said this, the scripture you've just heard has been fulfilled this very day. You see, the good news should capture our heart because it's all about Jesus, the one true human. That's verse three in, in our text in Romans. The good news is about his son, the good news is not that you fix yourself. The good news isn't that if you come to church and you're good enough and you try enough, and if you're a good enough parent, then somehow you'll be made right with God. The good news is all about Jesus. You see, I think that line, the good news is all about his son, Romans 1, 3, is the most important line in all of Romans because it says, Jesus, is the hero of the story. And I love the way that Paul puts it in another letter to another church in the book of Colossians, verse 115. Paul says this, he says, Christ is the the visible image of the invisible God, that he's God with flesh on, who's entered into our world, that's become part of our story, that we might see him, that we might be captivated by him, that our lives might be reoriented by his life, And Paul goes on, he says, he existed before anything was created. You see, he came before the story, John 1.1, and that he's supreme over all the creation. What glorious news is that? That there's one who brought good news that came to comfort the mourning, that came to set captives free. But most importantly, he's the only true human that ever lived. Verse three, the last part of verse three says that he was born into King David's family line. Verse four, that he was shown to be the son of God when he was raised from the dead by the power of the Holy spirit. He is Jesus Christ, our Lord. And we have to sit in this for a moment because uh, the, the, the whole story, the whole true story of the world hinges on this one moment that we celebrate at Easter. And it's the moment of the resurrection because Paul says he was shown to be the son of God, the one that all the prophets, all the scriptures, all the history had been pointing to at that moment when he was raised from the dead by the power of the Holy Spirit. What happened at that moment is that he overcame death, obviously but he overcame the powers of the world. And go back to Genesis three. Remember, God promises, I'm gonna restore right relationship with people. How? Because I'm gonna crush the head of evil. And what is the ultimate manifestation of evil in the world? Death. Death. It's, It's the thing that we fear. It's the thing that's looming over us all the time. And and, and we're lulled into not thinking about it because we just go on and we live our life. And yet there's one true thing is that we're all gonna experience death. But you see, the son of God overcame death, that he crushed evil, that he overcame the powers of the world, overcame the powers of spiritual darkness. And he said, you don't have to fear death. You get to live without that fear, but you can only do that when you're captivated by the good news that Jesus is the king. Because you see, it's not good news if anybody else is king, then death still reigns, death still hovers, we still live in fear, we live in isolation, we live striving and trying our best to try to measure up, but it never works. And in the end, we're lost and we're hopeless. But you see, because Jesus is king, we have hope. Because Jesus is king, death has lost its sting. You know, we could stop there, and I think that would be a compelling argument that this is pretty good news. This is pretty good news. It's not the news on our phone. It's news that captures our heart. But you see, there's more. There's more than that. Verse five, Paul goes on. Through Christ, God has given us the privilege and the authority as apostles to tell Gentiles everywhere what God has done for them so that they will believe and obey him, bringing glory to his name. And I wanna point out a few things here that I think are really important for us today is that you see the good news ought to capture our heart because we find our life purpose in it. And we keep coming back to this word purpose because I think so many of us are trying to figure out our purpose, and we're trying to figure that out in all kinds of different ways. We're trying to figure that out in our marriage, or we're trying to figure that out because we're longing for a significant relationship, or we're trying to figure that out in the space of parenting or human relationships. We're trying to figure that out in our vocation. Some of us are trying to figure out purpose in many ways, and it's exhausting to do that, but you see, through Christ, God has given us privilege. It's a privilege and authority To do what? To tell people everywhere, and I love this line, what God has done for them. And that was Paul's mission. And he's telling the Romans that it's a great privilege, but that God has given authority to speak the true story of the world into a world that's lost and dying. And guess what? That mission, that privilege, that authority has been transferred and passed on to us. And so we're not just people here talking about theological ideas sitting in church. We're people that have been commissioned as God's people to take this message into the world. Why? So that they can live their best life, so that they won't have any problems? No. Our mission is to tell people everywhere what God has done for them that he sent his one and only son to the cross, that he experienced the death that we deserved, that he died, that we could also die to our sin and that he was raised again, that we could be raised again to new life, defeating death, so that they will believe and obey. That's what he says, that we have a privilege and authority to tell people everywhere what God has done for them so that they will believe and obey. And I wanna sit with these words for a moment and I talked about this last week, that the word that comes to mind here is the word allegiance, that you see if Jesus is king, then you, know, you don't just get good advice from a king. You don't just say, well, you know, he's pretty wise, and, and sometimes I, I see something that he said, and that's good, and I'm drawn to it. No, if Jesus is king, then there's only one right response, and that right response is total allegiance, And that's a foreign concept to us in our culture because we value freedom so much. And and freedom from tyrannical human institutions is a beautiful and necessary and good thing. But when it comes to God, we're not made to live in freedom from God. We're made to live as slaves, completely obedient to God. And that when we tell people what God has done for them, their response, if they've really been captivated by him is two things, is the two components of allegiance... Our belief, which is we assent to, we say, yes, I agree that Jesus is king. And I think many of us stop there in our Christianity, don't we? That that we just say, well, I became a Christian at some point in my life. And what we mean is I I verbally assented, yes, I, I believe in Jesus. But I think for some of us, we've stopped there. But the mission doesn't stop there. It's so that they will believe, but secondly, so that they will obey what does it mean to obey? It's another word that we do not like, and it's in us not to like it from the beginning. Anybody have little kids? How, how easy is it to get little kids to obey? Not so much. My daughter was, was babysitting last night, and we get tales from the babysitting world every night, which is awesome when, people, when you know your teenager has an iPhone, and she was rec- recording things, and and uh, she came home, and it was hilarious. You know, there's a, a, a little kid, and she's like, it's time to go to bed, and he doesn't want to. He doesn't want to be obedient, right? And so he's screaming his head off, and she also tells him, it's time to put up your toys. And so there's this little video of this little kid screaming his head off and, and, and putting his trucks while he's screaming and crying into the cabinet. <laughs> and it was so funny because it's this picture of I'm like, copy-paste. Like, that's me, right, with God, like... Like even when I'm doing things that God wants me to do, I'm crying while I'm doing, it. I don't wanna do it, you know? And so we're just wired for disobedience from the very beginning. But you see the call to follow King Jesus means that we're to lay down all of our other lesser allegiances, which are ties to power that are compelling on this side of eternity. And, and I'm gonna keep coming back to these things and listen, these things aren't bad things they're just not ultimate things it, we're not meant to put ultimate allegiance in our country and, and i'm and i'm saying that as a veteran and that's i know some of you that's hard to hear cuz cuz we've grown up in a culture that's that's put you know love of country and love of jesus is the same thing but the scriptures clearly say there's only one king and his name is jesus and so our allegiance it's not bad to, to, to have, you know, feelings for our country, but it cannot be an ultimate allegiance. Our ultimate allegiance is to Jesus. You know, and there's so many temptations to put our allegiance, which means our, our, our belief in who we are, but our obedience to, to whatever that thing tells us to, to do in, in lesser things. And, and for some of us, that's, you know, pursuit of wealth. For some of us, that's a vocation. Um, for some of us, our family. There's so many powers in this world that are drawing us away from the one true story of the world and speaking these lesser stories to us. But you see, the good news isn't just news out there that's good for us to believe so that we'll go to heaven one day. It's it's good news that captures our heart and reorients our whole life. Well, if that's not compelling enough, Paul continues verse 6. And you are included among the Gentiles who have been called to belong to Jesus Christ. I'm writing to all of you in Rome who are loved by God and called to be his own holy people. And so the good news captures our heart also because we too are included. We're included. What does it mean to be included? It means to belong. And that's one of the deepest core longings of a human being. And, And it's really acute when we're younger and we're wrestling through, especially adolescence, that's a, a core thing. But, you know, that need and that desire to belong goes on and on and on at every age and every stage of life. But you see, this is the beautiful, good news of Jesus. That Because he's king, you belong when you believe in him and you live a life of obedience to him and that you're called to be his set apart people. That's what it means to be a holy people, a people who are set apart. And so I just want you to sit in that reality today, and I just wonder if if you've taken that in for yourself. Not just that you believe in some truth, but that you realize that because Jesus is king, you too are included, and that you too are called. Well, the last part of Romans, and we're gonna get into this in the spring, sometimes I think we should read Romans backwards, because it starts off with, Theology and telling us all these beautiful truths, but the last part of Romans is is really a vision for Christian community, and and it and it, what it shows us is Paul is saying you know we're meant to be this unified body that carries that is a vessel of this good news to the world, and and it's a I think the most beautiful part of Romans we'll be talking about in the spring in the last part, but Paul kind of foreshadows it here in verses ten through fifteen, and basically what he articulates is that the good news captures our heart because it's our vision for community. And I think many times we're longing for community. Um, I love what Dietrich Bonhoeffer said. You know, he was the German martyr who was killed um, by Hitler. But he said uh, in his work, Life Together, he was trying to build Christian community in a really dark time in the world. And he said, you know, he who loves community destroys community. He who loves people builds community. Sometimes we can get captivated with this idea of community, and some of us say, well, I'm here at church because I want community, because I want to belong, I want all these things. But you see, the vision for community is rooted in the truth that Jesus is king. It's rooted in the good news. And what happens is, and what Paul points to in verses 10 through 15, is that when we are all corporately oriented on the reality that Jesus is king, and we've devoted our lives and our hearts are collectively captured by his beauty, that what happens is we're drawn together. And that's what he says in verse 12, when we get together, I love that line verse 12, when we get together, I want to encourage you, but I also wanna be encouraged by your faith as well. And, and so Paul paints this beautiful image of community that we're meant to do life together, We're meant to long to be with one another. And I just, I can't like say it enough that this is God's vision for our church. Not that we would just be a group of people who would drive up and come here on a a Sunday morning and get t-shirts and free pins and come to some events and things like that. But the vision for New City Church is the same vision for the church in Rome. And it's that we would long to be with one another because when the good news has captured our heart, we have this new vision for community that we see we're supposed to be together, that we together in our unity and in our love of Jesus might be uh, the greatest message to the world. And that when we're gathered together, we're meant to encourage each other, encourage each other. And I think so often church community can be a place of discouragement and judgment a place that we don't feel safe but i just want to remind us that our vision is god's vision that if jesus is king we're meant to come together and be first of all encouraging one another that we encourage one another to keep going to keep following the lord we keep encouraging each other that you know what you belong that we keep encouraging each other that you know what your allegiance isn't supposed to be to your job it's supposed to be to jesus but we do that out of a heart and a spirit of Jesus, which is a heart and a spirit of radical love. Paul says also in his words that part of gathering together and being the people of God is praying for each other. And I I wanna sit in that for a moment because I think this is supposed to be a core theme of our life together as New City Matthews in this next season. Prayer ought to be at the heart of our community. What, what happens when we go to God in prayer, right? It's not just that we bring a list of things that we're asking for. No, it, it's, it's that we go to God and that when we go to God, we carry to him our burdens. And, and, and what happens when we pray for one another and we carry each other's burdens to God is that it changes radically the way that we see one another. That if the first response when I hear your burden is, hey, let me see how I can move in and fix that or correct that or say something powerful to you. But instead, what if it's none of those things? What if it's when you share with me and I share with you that our first response is, you know what, that's heavy and that's big and that's too much for you. And that's too much for me too. But let's carry that to Jesus the King together and let's believe with every fiber of our being that we are loved by him and that he will show up in a powerful way in our life. You see, when we pray for each other, we change. And when we pray for each other, we're unified under the lordship of Jesus. And so I deeply want that to be part of our, uh, the center of our life together is not so much a bunch of activities, but just simply a longing to be together and a discipline and a spirit of encouraging and praying for one another, and I think that if we could do that, then what we would sh- see is that the good news has captured our heart, but other people would be drawn to that as well, because who doesn't want to be a part of a community like that? Hey, lastly, and most importantly, and we're going to come back to this next week uh, as we build and as we go through Romans, verse 17, the good news captures our heart because it tells us how God makes us right in his sight. Verse 17 is is laden. I'm going to talk about it here for a minute. We'll talk about it again next week, but it says this, the good news tells us how God makes us right in his sight, and this is accomplished from start to finish by faith. As scriptures say, it is through faith that a righteous person has life. What is this saying? It's good news that God makes us right in his sight. God makes us right in his sight. It is not up to us. It is not our goodness. It's not something that we carry out. It's something that God has already carried out. And we're just supposed to respond to with belief and obedience and allegiance to him. And we do that through faith that we're believing in what we cannot see. And that Through that finished work of Jesus, we have life. And and here's why that's so important. Because this statement in verse 17 is really a statement of identity. Because I think each one of us is longing to be made right in relationship. And sometimes we don't realize that we're longing to be right in our relationship with God. Mostly we we realize we're longing to have right relationship with each other. And we see the brokenness because some of the deepest pain in life is in relational discord. It's when we cannot see eye to eye, when we cannot connect in the way that we want to connect with our spouse or our child or our friend or our neighbor or our coworker, And so much pain in life is caused when, we, when our relationships aren't right. But you see, when Jesus is king, what he says is that God has done the work to restore the one main relationship. That's your relationship with him. And here's the great news, guys, is that when our relationship with God is right, everything else flows out of that. Once we realize who we are in him and our identity is secure, then what we have is a capacity to love one another, to be gracious to one another, to forgive one another. You see, this is good news. And it's good news that God sent his son and that God sent the apostle Paul to deliver this beautiful message that Jesus is king that a people might be delivered from the world. And friends, this message is for us today too, that we would be delivered, that we would not live in bondage, that we would not live under fear of death, that we would not be bound by the systems of the world that ultimately desire to crush us, but instead we would be drawn to the person of Jesus and it would capture our heart the way a 19-year-old boy had his heart captured by his first girlfriend, but even more so. I want to leave us with a a word on what to do next, because the easiest thing in the world is just to sit with this truth and do nothing with it. But you see the good news that Jesus is King ought to have captured our heart and compel us to invite others into it. And that's part of that obedience that I'm talking about, that it's not, An allegiance to a king is not enough to just say, I believe you're the king. It has to be the kind of belief that results in obedience. And the first obedience is that we should be compelled to tell everyone about it. So here's my ask of you over this next week. Would you begin praying for at least one other person in your relational world to meet King Jesus and begin following him? And and I say your relational world, we all have circles of influence, you know, and that may be in your neighborhood, that may be in your own family, that may be at your workplace, that may be in your school, but God's plan to redeem the world is that he would convey his message, his good news, that Jesus is king, one person to another. And so if we've been compelled by this message, if it's gripped our hearts and it's transformed us, then let us respond by telling other people about him. And I just... that's not a ministry, that's not an event at the church, that's just a conversation. Would you begin having a conversation first with God? And it might just be something like this. God, would you show me one person in my world that's far from you, who I could be a part of? Drawing into your story and your goodness. And you know, there's no greater purpose than that. You help one other person find King Jesus Your life was worth something. That's it, full stop. I'm not ashamed of this good news because it's the power of life. To Christ be the glory. Amen? Amen.